Thanks for joining us for our Sunday worship gathering. Today we're in a message series titled Forgotten God, and we're learning about the Holy Spirit. Let's prepare our hearts for what God has for us today, and please give a warm welcome to Dr. Derry Long. Oh, hey, good morning. <clears throat> Great to see you all. I hope you've had a good week. My wife and I were at, uh, in line at a uh, fast food restaurant this week, and there was a lady behind us who was on her cell phone, and we caught these words. Well, I don't know. I just didn't see the dumpster, and so I tore off the bumper. I thought, my, day, my day's going better than hers. So I hope your, uh, your day's going well. We're in, a, we're in a series on the forgotten God or uh, subtitled uh, the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. And our theme this morning is the gifts of the Spirit. In the New Testament, there are uh, three lists, one in Romans, one in Ephesians, and one in 1 Corinthians, where the Lord, the Lord gives us a list of spiritual gifts that God gives to those who are His followers. And we're going to look at the purposes of those gifts and how they work out in our life. And uh, if you're a believer, you have one or more of these gifts. And discovering that and living in that can be one of the most fulfilling things in your life. If you're here this morning and you've not crossed the line of faith, one of the motivations for that is that when we partner with God, He wants to bring meaningfulness and purposefulness and significance into our life. Meaningfulness means I know I was created to do this thing. Significance means I know I have an impact. And one of the ways God does that when we become a follower of Christ is He gives us gifts through the Holy Spirit to serve others. And so we're going to have a look at what that looks like. Now, in order for us to grasp this, I'm going to use an illustration about some of our staff people. Because there, there's a series of, of lists of the gifts of the Spirit, and some seem quite lofty. He gave some to be apostles and prophets, teachers, pastors, evangelists. But there are other very down-to-earth gifts, like the gift of mercy and helps, administration, hospitality, service, and leadership. And those, those, are just, uh, those are just words until we see them in action. So what if I went out on the ice today and I broke my hip? I'm 66 and a half. That could happen. <laughs> so I'm in the hospital. And our staff around here, we try to love each other. And so four staff members are going to come and see me. Bob Schwan, John Oakland, Sam Bennett, and uh, Doyle Stuckey. Now, they all have different spiritual gifts. And when they come into my hotel room, they're actually going to look at this event through eyes that are going to be very different from each other. And so the first guy that's going to show up is going to be Doyle. And Doyle's going to sit down, and he's going to touch me. He's going to lean over. He's going to say, I, I'm just, I am, I am. I am so, so sorry this has happened to you. And then he's going to start crying. In fact, he's going to cry more than I'm crying. Because he is broken hearted that I am suffering. 
And he'll sit there, and somebody else will come in for 10 minutes and leave. That's an hour, and Doyle's still there. He'll sit quietly. He'll speak with a low voice. Say, I just, I just want you to know we, we just care about you. Let us know if there's any, anything we can do. He'll pray for me. He'll forgot that he prayed for me, and he'll pray for me again. He'll read some scripture that's all about compassion and mercy and love. And why will he do that? Because, because his, his spiritual gift, one of his spiritual gifts is the gifts of mercy. And if you picked out a spiritual gift out of Ephesians, it's the gift of pastoring, which is caregiving. And in any, in any enterprise, he's going to look at that enterprise through that window. But just as he leaves, John Oakland comes in. And after John Oakland gets done with the perfunctory words, man, man, this is, this is a bummer. He says, by the way, I drove by the house. I noticed your lawn wasn't mowed, so I asked the kid across the street if he'd do it. Don't worry about the money. I'll pay him for that. And you know, we had a 40-mile-an-hour wind last night, and I noticed that the gate on your fence was flapping because it had torn the latch off. But I was in my truck, and so I had some tools, so I put the screws back in there, so that's good. And Michelle called up your wife, Mercy, and said, hey, would you come out to dinner with us since Derry's in the hospital after church, and let's just go have uh, lunch together. Uh, that's Doyle, or that's, uh, that's John. And then he said, now, is there anything else I can do? He won't cry at all. <laughs> but he will have taken care of a lot of stuff. And then, and then will come Bob. See, John's gift is, Doyle's gift is caregiving. John's gift is service. Bob's gift, he's an encourager, exhorter. He said, man, man, that, this is, this is, I'm sorry, but you know what? You know what? And he'll have his Bible because he sleeps with that. And, and he'll say, but I know, I know when this whole thing's done, I know that God's going to use this. He's going to bring people into your life that need help, and you're going to know how to help them because you'll know how God helped you in this time of need. So don't be discouraged. Be encouraged. And just as he finishes that, the door will open, and six cheerleaders from MSU will come in, and then they'll have pom-poms, and they'll be yelling, yes, you can, yes, you can, because you are the man. You know, they'll be... And Bob will blow out of there knowing that all is well because God's here. And then Sam Bennett will come in. Now, Sam Bennett's a prophet. And so he'll sit down, and after a few perfunctory words, he'll say, now, have you considered why this calamity has befallen you? Is there some unconfessed sin in your life? Here, I, I brought an old Bible of mine, and I, I've marked all the passages on repentance. I'll come in in a couple of days and see how you're doing. I'm thinking to myself, I hope I'm out before then. <laughs> See, this, you just think, well, this is just me. This, this, this isn't God. It's just kind of me. And I'm not even sure it's special. But it is special. And it's unique. And it has a power of the Holy Spirit to transform other people's lives as you live in and function in that way. So quickly, we're just going to look at four aspects of the gifts of the Spirit this morning in order for us to have a perspective on how to look at this for our own lives and appreciate what the Lord's doing. 
Here's the first one. God intends to equip you to build up others, to improve the lives of others and help them discover their reason for living. Let's look at some scripture. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul's talking about the gifts of the Spirit, and then he says, they're here to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up together in him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As each part does its work. Um, I, I learned early that I wasn't made to be a farmer. I grew up on a farm. My dad tried to help me be a farmer. When he didn't know I was looking, I would often catch my dad doing this. <laughs> but I remember how he was trying to help me. He was, he was first, he's trying to equip me. He'd say, I, I still remember when he said, I'm working on this. Go down to the, go down to the shop and, and start taking that radiator out of the pickup. I remember thinking, what? <laughs> I mean, my dad sometimes would be underneath a vehicle and he would say, he'd say, go, go get me that 9 16th wrench on the, on the shop bench. So I'd go into the shop and I'd look around Finally, my dad, who had colorful language, would throw down the wrench he has, mutter some stuff under his breath. Some of it was, sounded very religious. And, and he'd walk right over that bench and pick up the 916th wrench. And I used to think, how does he do that? But you know, when he was telling me to take out the radiator, he was beginning to start equipping me to do stuff to do the summer follow and to take out the radiator and to, to work on those things. Part of, a good parent, part of good parenting is beginning to equip your children to gain competencies. That's part of the goal of the gifts of the Spirit. And those, those equipping experiences lead you to increasing your capacity. Around here, Journey Church, there's all kinds of stuff that that need to be done, that help and benefit other people. But somebody might ask you to do something. You say, well, I don't know. I, I can't do that. Well, one of the reasons you can't do it is because you've never done it. You, don't, you can't learn how to do something if you don't experiment doing it. And you might find out, I'm just not cut out for this. But a lot of times, you don't know that. You can't, you can't write that off the list unless you've given it a try and say, well, I'm going to try this instead. And so part of the ministry of the gifts of the Spirit is equipping one another and expanding our capacities and inspiring one another that we have something to offer that will be impactful, it will be meaningful, we'll know we were put on this earth to do this. 
Because God intends you to be his partner. Dennis Kinlaw was the uh, president of Asbury College, a significant Methodist school down in Kentucky for many years. And he said, at the end of every year, just kind of before graduation, he'd start moving around the campus and he'd be asking some of the graduating seniors, what are you going to do? Oh, some's going to be doctors or lawyers or, you know, the parents would be coming in. He says, well, what, what's your son or daughter? Go, oh, well, we're hoping he's going to go on to medical school. Or, he says, you know what I never heard? He says, I never heard anyone say, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to do the same thing my Lord Jesus Christ did. I'm going to lay my life down for the redemption of the world. And all the time, Satan wants to come to you and say those just little things about you that are just you. Have nothing to do with laying your life down for the redemption of the world. And yet God comes to you repeatedly through the scripture and says, those things that I've given you capacity for, those things live in the, in, in the reality that good overcomes evil. And every day I want you to use those so that we overcome evil in our own lives, in the lives of our family, and in the lives of this broken world. So God intends to equip you to build others up, to improve the lives of others and help them discover their reason for living. Let's look at a second one. God intends for you to display your uniqueness and unity by using your gifts. There's two scriptures, and here, here, they, here they contrast diversity and unity. Romans 12, just as, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. In another passage, Paul talks about how the hand doesn't do what the eye does, and the eye doesn't do what the foot does. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others, but we have differing, different gifts according to the grace given us. And yet he says in 1 Corinthians 12, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all, of, in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. God created you unique. He celebrates your uniqueness. He doesn't celebrate clones. Christianity is not about cloning. Now I'm sorry that much of evangelical Christianity in America has functioned that way. It's a sad, sad thing. There are very few systems in the New Testament at all, but, but especially in the West, we fall in love with systems. So all you need to do, if you want to sell a book, make sure it's the nine, the nine of these or the 12 of these or the four secrets of this. Or There aren't any lists like that in the New Testament. There's a reason why there aren't. Because we always want to systematize everything, and as soon as we get it systematized, God's always going to be bigger than our system, so we're having to rule part of who he is out. No, God celebrates your uniqueness. So even though there are three, three gifts, three lists of the gifts of the Spirit in the New Testament, there are other gifts scattered all, over, all around the New Testament because God celebrates the uniqueness that is yours. 
You do not all have the same function. And part of the reason why is because there's a variety of needs. There's not all the same need. But just as we have a uniqueness and a variety of need to answer to, there is a unity, a common purposefulness that we celebrate together. And so, in the variety God gives you, he says, use it. Stay busy. One of the phrases in the New Testament is, occupy till Jesus comes. One of the great Christian education teachers in the United States was Howard Hendricks. Taught down at Dallas Theological Seminary, gave seminars and wrote books for years and years. And he had a good friend. His friend called him up one day and he says, my mom died last night. Well, they grieved together. And he said, how old was your mom? Howard Hendricks says, well, she was 81. Well, that was a good run. The son said, yeah, but you know the funny thing? I went over to mom's house today, just kind of walking around. And there on her desk, there was a sheet of paper. I picked it up and I looked at it. And you know what it was? It said, she had just written out her goals for the next 10 years of her life. Now I like that. I heard that story 30 years ago. It's one of those stories I keep for me. Something you need to be keeping for you. The gifts of the Spirit means that he intends for you to display your uniqueness and the unity you have for the common good as the body of Christ to a needy world. The book of Acts says about the activity of the church of Jesus Christ because they were doing so much good in so many places and they had favor with all the people. Here's a third thing. God intends for you to be an example of sacrificial living, living for something bigger than ourselves. We read out of Romans 12, 1. The reason I'm reading this is because this is a passage of Scripture right before one of the lists of the gifts of the Spirit. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Our lives should be sacrificial. Without knowing it, that is part of how we evaluate the character and the value of other people. All of us expect that a good parent will be sacrificial in relation to their children. We expect that to be a normal part of our behavior. And even in the exercise of our gifts, there should be sacrificial aspects to it. I think a lot of life falls in what I call the 80-20 principle. 80, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Uh, I think that uh, in the gifts of the Spirit, we should spend 80% of our time working in the areas that we are gifted. Where we know God created me this way, and I'm going to be the most fruitful in functioning this way. But you know, how about the other 20%? There's things all of us have to do, 
for our lives and our families and our work just because somebody's got to do it. We can't all say, well, I don't know, that's not really my gift. So I don't care if it's not, you got a brain, you got hands, you got feet, your legs, come over here and do it. it. Needs to be done. Like, I don't have the gift of hospitality. Somebody comes and talks to me after I finish saying, man, that's a big belt buckle. I've run out of things to say. <laughs> I've, I've, I've been around people who have gift of hospitality. One of the is they just make you feel like you're at home and you're not a bother. You just, you know... But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that God gives some people the gift of hospitality, but he expects all Christians to be hospitable. He doesn't ask me, now does this come natural for you? No, it doesn't come natural. I'm an INTJ and I'm an introvert and I want to sit in a corner and read a magazine while other people talk. He says, tough. That doesn't quite fit my entire picture of how the kingdom works. The people who set up these chairs didn't all get, get in a corner here this morning before they started and say, boy, I'm glad this is our spiritual gift. They set these chairs up because they needed to be set up. For all of us, there ought to be about 20% of what we do. We do it just because we have enough discipline and enough commitment to a higher cause than we are, that we say, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a hand for that. With that. Now there's, there's another aspect. Sometimes our circumstances won't always let us operate in our giftedness. I might think I have a set of gifts here and I don't have gifts over here. Like I'm not a great caregiver, but if someone I loved got ill... I'm not going to say, well, that's really not my gift. Because circumstances have forced me into a role that is an expression of love, whether I'm gifted that way or not. And so you have a spouse who takes care of of their husband or wife for a decade during a, a, a difficult or terminal illness, not because they're gifted at that, but because they love them. And so sometimes I just have to operate in my 20% for a while. Sometimes I function out of the need of the circumstances. I was visiting with a pastor in another location who said there are a lot of grandparents in his church who are raising their grandchildren because their, their kids have had shipwreck in their life. So they didn't wake up one day and say, boy, it's 71, I want to be raising kids again. They're doing it because they love them. Because circumstances brought them to that. And sometimes when you do something that's not natural, you meet God more in that because you know how much more you need Him in that. And that doing something just because it needs to be done, even if it's not natural, can expand your soul even if it doesn't expand your capacity. So I'm a living sacrifice. Then there's one last thing he says about spiritual gifting. God intends for you to know how to live the highest value, which is love. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul's talking about the spiritual gifts. He gives, gives, gives a whole list. And then in the very last verse of that chapter, he says... 
And now, and now I will show you the most excellent way. See, we can kind of, we can develop a little pecking orders about gifts. In fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 warns against developing pecking orders. You know that people who speak in public are assumed to be more intelligent than other people? Now, I've done this all my life, and I know all kinds of people who speak in public, and I'm going to tell you, they're, they're no smarter than anybody else. They just have a knack for something. But, but inherently, we develop this pecking order. We think, well, the, this gift is so much more important than this gift. And God says in 1 Corinthians 12, no, 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 no. It, there's a variety of functions, a variety of needs, a variety of uniqueness. And if, if the Holy Spirit has gifted you in that way, that gift has nobility. There's no pecking order related to that, except this. So at the end of this chapter on gifts, he says, but I'm going to show you a more excellent way. And then 1 Corinthians 13, the entire chapter is about love. It's a certain kind of love. In the Greek, it's called agape love. Do you know that that word was almost invisible or not used prior to biblical literature? It is the Christian faith who elevated that word into the common domain of speech. That agape love became the central focus and feature of what it meant to be a Christian. And here is the simplest definition of agape love. Acting for the benefit of another. So Paul is saying, with all your giftings, the point of them all is acting for the benefit of another. In fact, Paul is saying that is the supreme mark of what it means to be a Christian. That is what maturity is. Can you consistently act for the benefit of others? I'm, uh, I'm reading the life of uh, Albert Einstein right now. Uh, there's a couple of things, a couple of things I like. One, one, is, he, one is he said, uh, life is kind of like riding a bicycle. You've got to keep moving forward or you fall down. Uh, that makes sense. But uh, in 1905, he wrote a friend, and he said, who was a scientist, and he said, uh, hey, send me that uh, thesis that you wrote, and I'll send you four little papers I just wrote. And, he, and they were little. They were just a few pages. Send me, he says, send me, I'll send you four little pa- pa- pages that I wrote. Those four little papers changed the view of the physical world as we know it. And today... Science still feels the ripple effects of those four little papers written by Albert Einstein in 1905. The reason I mention that is in 1900, just five years before, Lord Kelvin, a noted scientist, 
at a meeting of the British Association for the Advancement of Science said, there is nothing new to be discovered in physics now. All that remains is becoming more precise in our measurements. One of the things I've disliked about Christianity is it's presented in such a boring way. I hated Sunday school. I thought, I cannot bear hearing the life of Joseph on flannel graph one more time. <laughs> when you get my age, you can just do things. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice for some of us if one of the new territories of our life was to begin to live for others through a fresh understanding that God has given me these gifts so that I may partner with him for the redemption of the world. That's how big a thing it is to God. And that's why the Holy Spirit gives us these gifts. Let's bow our heads and set our things aside. If you're a believer, you've crossed the line of faith here this morning then I celebrate that with you and just urge you no matter what your age or what your circumstances take the gifting God has given you seriously because he takes it seriously and your capacity to overwhelm evil with good is enormous pursue that with diligence If you're here this morning and you're not a believer, you've not crossed the line of faith. May I suggest you're not only cheating the world, you're cheating yourself. That God has created you to live out of a profound uniqueness that has enormous capacity for good. You could partner with the Lord this morning. You could cross that line of faith. Say, Lord, if you've created me like that, I want in on that. Right where you're seated. You say, Lord, I'm sorry that I have not recognized this. I'm sorry that I've been willful and just doing my own thing. I'm sorry I did not see all the redemptive activity that you are involved in. I'm sorry for that. And I admit that that's where I've been. And you can just express that to the Lord this morning. You can say, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? Would you forgive me for missing this whole thing? Would you forgive me for just living for myself? 
Would you forgive me for allowing my world to become so tiny when your heart for me is so large? And you can ask the Lord for that forgiveness right now. The Bible says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone open that door, I will come in. And I will have fellowship with them and they with me. Right now, you can invite the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart. Say, Lord, I I open the door of my heart. I want to be part of this exciting venture. I want to live in newness of life. I open the door of my heart. Lord, would you come into my heart, Lord Jesus? Would you come into my heart, Lord Jesus? You invite him in right now. And he's promised that if you invite him in, his promise is, I'll come in. So if you've invited him into your heart this morning, will you just thank him? Just say, Lord, thank you for helping me cross the line of faith, for forgiving my sins, for giving me your life, for inviting me to be your partner in doing good. Thank him right now. Nobody's going to embarrass you. Our heads are bowed in prayer. But if you've invited Jesus Christ into your heart this morning, if you've prayed that prayer, if you've crossed that line of faith with our heads bowed in prayer just to honor the Lord Jesus Christ who's given you new life, would you just raise your hand and say, thank you, Lord, for hearing my prayer. Just slip your hand up and put it down. Yeah, I see that, you bet. Over here on my left, and another on my left, a third on my left near the back. Way over here on the right. Father, thank you for the amazing capacity of all of us gathered in this room. You love us. You invite us into partnership with you. Lord, for these who slip their hands up, thank you for their faith in you and that they've crossed that line of faith. Bring to them assurance that you've heard their prayer. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.